Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. What's up, legends? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Got a brilliant episode for you today. I was fortunate enough to be joined by the co-CEOs of OpenCorp, Alistair Lewison and Cam McLellan. We touch on a bunch of different topics ranging from investing in properties and where to start for those that are just starting out, the process that that these guys both use to deal with adversity, how they both came up in the industry. We also talk a lot about physical fitness and mental health as well, um, along with what their daily routines are. Um, again, we just touch on a bunch of different topics and I thoroughly enjoyed the chat. I know you guys will as well. So if you take some value away from this episode, we'd love for you to take a screenshot on your phone and post it on your Instagram stories as soon as possible. Um, and before we get stuck into the episode, I would like to thank today's sponsor. Cam and Al, welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, fellas. Thanks for having us. Appreciate Thanks for having us, mate. Good to be here. Absolute pleasure. Now, usually when I when I get guests on the show, we're talking about a topic that uh, I'm all over, and today I've got absolutely fuck all idea. Um, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, and and just before we get stuck in the episode, for everyone who's tuned in, we're not just going to be talking about investing in property, although it will be um, a touching point early on. Um, obviously it'd be rude not to, but I also want to touch on mindset, you know, what you guys do for your physical health and fitness outside of work as well and how you balance, you know, family life and work and, and make it all, make it all happen. So yep. kick, we'll kick things off. Just, um, you know, we briefly spoke just then before I hit record about how you both got into the industry and, and what your pathway was. So I wouldn't mind just touching on that, on that again, just, just quickly for the listeners to get an understanding of how you boys both um, ended up in the position you're in at the moment. So maybe, uh, Cam, if you want to jump in first and, and give us a rundown. Yeah, no worries. Um, as we mentioned before, Dan, um, Elle and I both came from pretty poor backgrounds. Um, there was no silver spoon uh, handed our way. But I think because I came from a quite a poor background in the sense that my folks lost their family home and their business early days, um, and kids are pretty resilient, you roll with it, I realised that I wanted a better financial future for myself and my future kids than I had. So... I was probably lucky, came across Al and met his old man, who his old man is a successful investor and property developer. Um, and Al's old man, Steve, grabbed us by the scruff of the neck when we were you know, young kids, uh, early 20s, and taught us how to buy property, leverage the equity off it, do it again and again and again and again. And that's probably led us to being able to have a lot of balance in life. Um, we probably, as, uh, as Al had attest to we're both pretty motivated guys like we would have um succeeded we just would have made a lot of fuck-ups along the way to get us there yeah. so um i think um reducing risk having someone to guide you on the way was really you know it was beneficial to us it's allowed us to go on you know have four weeks four months a year holiday we've set up film production companies in the us we've uh you know done a range of different businesses but really mate uh, property is one thing but if if rubber bands gave me strong growth and good cash flow, I'd be an expert at rubber bands. So property is a means to an end to give me the lifestyle I want. Unreal. Unreal. Al, how about you, mate? Yeah, my, my story and Cam probably touched on a part of it, but um, I guess I'll, I'll go back a bit earlier than when Cam and I met. We actually met working at, at Safeway. We had sort of part-time jobs together when we were younger. But um, all through school, I was pretty active in sport, um, pretty high achiever and did, did well at sport. I did my knee just when I turned 18. It sort of derailed my dreams of being an NBA player. Yeah. It was going to happen, but I like to think so. 
Uh, and I sort of found myself. That's the only reason, right? Sorry, what? That's the only reason why he didn't make it, right? That's the only reason. <laughs> the only reason being 18. So um, <clears throat> I was one of these kids through school that wasn't overly, you know, great doing schoolwork and that type of thing. So my part-time job at Safeway led me to a full-time job at Safeway and I got promoted at one point to being a nighttime duty manager. So when everyone else is asleep, I'm in there stacking shelves and, and running a team there. And I just had this moment in my mind, I was like, this isn't the life that I was going to have. Um, shit's got to change here. So uh, as Cam touched on, my old man was investing in property. So I just, you know, tapped him on the shoulder and said, what's the go? What do you do? And uh, as they say in the classics, the rest is history. But uh, I bought a property, property one became property two. And uh, Cameron actually bought a property two doors away from each other uh, very early in, in the piece and developed those into townhouse developments. Um, and, and as Cam said, there's no favours or anything. It was just about good advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's many pitfalls along the way. And Cam Savage on them, the industry sharks are out there trying to take money out of people's pockets and, uh, and fleece some of their dough. But we were lucky, my old man said, you do this, and you do that, you do that. And we could follow left foot uh, behind right, and that put us on the path. So, um, you know, we're pretty privileged now. We can help clients with the same thing. They avoid the pitfalls. Uh, but it certainly led to a different life than I was staring down the barrel of when I was um, stacking shelves in vampire shift and so far. Shit, yeah. What was the, uh, for both of you, what was the initial... Goal. Did you ever have a vision of what, you, you know, before the property came about, was there anything that you both, obviously, um, Al, you were on your way to the NBA, but um, <laughs> other than that, was there anything that you had your, your mind or your sights set on that you wanted to pursue as a career path? Uh, I'll, I'll speak for me and, and not really. Uh, that was part of the reason, I guess, you know, through school, I wasn't going, I'm going to be a scientist or a lawyer or a rocket scientist. So I was just plodding along and that led to plodding along at Safeway. Yep. I had this dream and vision that, you know, one day I'd be this wealthy guy that could do what I wanted, just to know how to go about it. Um, yep. So, yeah, again, property to me, uh, you read the books and, you know, X amount of people make their first million out of property. Um, and I was like, that's a good start for me. So I'll start buying property. And I was one of these guys that was running these elaborate spreadsheets. Like if I buy a property here and here and here, I'll be worth 600 trillion by the time I'm 40. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hasn't quite worked out that way, but I've done okay out of it. So um, it was now, I guess, I've got the lifestyle I wanted, but it was just fortuitous. I got, I got there through property. Mm. Yeah, for me, mate, I think I um, I had in my head that I wanted to retire by 40. It was pretty clear. Um, sort of not knowing how I could join the dots was the once you got that goal, Yeah, really, we, we talked about before, um, people set goals. I think goals nowadays are used as an excuse for something you can fail at. So uh, there's a big difference between a goal and aspiration. Yeah. So, you know, yourself, if you set a goal, it has to have an action plan attached to it. Yeah. Whereas an aspiration is just something, a wish list in the future. So I knew very clearly that I wanted a goal of to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted by the age of 40, I just needed to work out the action plan to get there. So part of all the steps I took along the way was just about joining the dots for me. Now, I think I got there by, you know, my early thirties, but I was very clear on putting an action plan in place. And I talked to year 12 kids about, I do um, a money smarts course for year 12 kids and teach them about the pitfalls of money. We don't talk too much about property, but it's just all the things they can really screw up on. Yeah. Goals and aspirations is a pretty clear one I outline for them. You know, where if you want to be a pro golfer, you know, might, some people might go, I want to be a pro golfer. The difference between a goal and an aspiration is that um, having the thought is the aspiration. The goal really has an action plan attached to it. I want to be a pro golfer. So I'm going to play 36 holes every 
day and then I'm going to get a professional coach and then I'm going to do this and do that and do that. So you've got steps to get you there. That's why people fail in their goals is because they don't have an action plan and a daily thing that you have to do today. Yep. The way I talk to my kids, there is no tomorrow. You can only affect your future life by what you do today. Right so now. yeah, pull your finger out and have a crack. <laughs> nice. I like it. Um, <clears throat> usually when you see someone, you know, uh, that, that's, extremely successful in any field whether it's sport business whatever there usually comes a a large chunk of sacrifice with it as well did you guys find um did either of you find that you know on the on the way up maybe not so much now that you've found a good balance but as you were kind of early days were there things that you really had to cut back on were there things that you probably ended up uh, you know being quite poor at because you were putting all your time and attention into um, building the business and building the portfolio. And if you could do it again, was there, is there certain things that you think you would change um, if, if in hindsight? Rip, ripping question. Um, we've got a, a bucket load of different examples. Delaying gratification is the term we use. Yep. And so making a sacrifice today, a small sacrifice today, so you can have a much larger result or better outcome in the future. Um, it's sort of like that, uh, you know, the butterfly effect. You heard that term? Yes, not, the, not the film Ashton Kutcher was in, but the, uh, <laughs> the, the key butterfly effect is uh, it's a scientific paper from the 1960s or something like that. So it's, it's basically the flap of a butterfly wing in Brazil creates a tornado in Texas. So it's a tiny little action yeah. that happens today, which gets you a massive outcome down the track. There's a really good YouTube kit, um, clip on it, which basically shows like a tiny little domino, knocks down a bigger domino and bigger domino to the point where it knocks down a two-story domino. You know, yeah. and so yeah. something small you can do. So we often talk about it. The um, sacrifices we made, I mean, when I needed my first property deposit, I stole my car. So HQ back in the day, it was a pretty mean rig, but uh, sold that and uh, rode a bike for nine months. I never went to a cafe until I was in my mid twenties. Yeah. You know, and I worked three or four jobs at every point in time since I left home at 16 and moved to the city. But um, nowadays it's amazes me people simply just don't want don't want to do the hard work or they their lifestyle expenses are so much but i remember uh al had uh friends of ours early days when um when you bought your first couple of properties and friends of ours we moved to the outer suburbs in the properties we had to live in because that's the area we bought in and uh friends were saying well we're, we're going to live in you know inner city melbourne and we're going to have the memories was the term they use you guys go and chase your dream we're going to have the memories because we have experiences well, now they're still working and we get to have all the memories we want, you know, with our kids. So, yeah, yeah um, I reckon the time that my conviction was tested the most on this journey was friends were all going to Europe in their early 20s. Mm. Um, you know, I had a handful of properties by the time I was 23, 24. And they're saying, well, don't worry about that. Well, just sell them and come to Europe and why don't you do this? Or, you know, we're going to have a time of our lives. And yeah, I've got to just say it was absolutely so tempting. And other than having that, aspiration, vision, whatever goal, whatever we're calling it, of what my life would look like. It would have been very easy to go and do, but um, as Kim touched on, you know, we're, we're fortunate now that we probably get four months, year holidays, you know, every school holidays with our kids. There's random ones in between terms. We can go away and do things. Yeah. Uh, the people into Europe aren't doing that. Uh, so yeah. it, it paid off for me, but it was absolutely uh, testing me to the limits of whether, you know, I was on the path and making the sacrifice I needed to make, which wouldn't change for anything now. And to, even to the point, and the second part of your question, I've got friends who'll take me aside and have, who've done, let's say, nothing. And say, so, right, so you have to start again, Al, what are you doing? And I said, well, right now I'll get myself a deposit 
and then I'll use some equity and buy another one and I'll, I'll literally do everything I do at the start yeah. right now. The numbers are bigger now because property prices are more, yeah. but it's, it's not a rocket science. It just takes a conviction and some sacrifice to go and do it. I just wanted to interrupt this episode to talk about my accounting software. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, wow, what an interesting topic. Here's the thing, guys. When I started out my business in the health and fitness industry, I tried to do everything by myself. Um, I tried to do my accounting using Excel spreadsheets, which I'm horrible with. I tried to do everything manually and didn't want to give away any of my business or give away any of the responsibility to anybody else. But what I found, particularly with accounting, is as I started to use the Zero software in alignment with my accountant as well, things become so much easier. You know, tracking profits and losses, tracking all my transactions, making sure that all my accounts are ready at tax time, which is something that I also struggled with early on. This becomes so much easier using the Zero software. So for all of the sole traders out there or anyone that started up a small business pre or post COVID, I couldn't recommend Zero enough. Go and try it out for yourself. See how much easier and more systemized your business becomes and how much easier it is to keep track of your finances and make sure that you are seeing success within your business. So again, that's Zero, spelled X-E-R-O. Let me know what you think. Um, I think it's going to be a game changer for you and your business. So breaking things right, like bringing them right back down. So for someone you know, like myself, like oh, I'm not in the property market yet at all. For someone that is just starting out that has the goal of owning their first property, there's some really kind of simple actionable tips, obviously aside from setting up a, a bit of a plan to save, save some cash. But what, what should people be looking for and looking out for in their first property or a bit of advice in terms of what type of property to, to be looking for for their first one? Yeah, I've got, a, a, uh, I've, I've got a book which um, I'm happy to give out to people if they go to opencorp.com.au. Um, my four-year-old, The Property Investor, it's the number one best-selling book in property investment in Australia, has been for the last decade. I think I've sold about 120,000 copies nowadays. So it's, uh, it's got street cred. Actually, how's this, mate? This is blowing your own trumpet a bit. But uh, it was number four on the all-time bestseller list. I couldn't crack number three back when it was released. Fifty Shades of Grey had me covered. So uh, yeah, what, what do you do? Women's romance versus uh, property investment. I had no chance. But um, if you go back to your question, educating yourself. There's risk involved in property and investment. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Now, it's not a silver bullet. Most people will take advice from you know Uncle Bob at a barbecue or something they read in the newspaper, or they'll buy something in their local postcode because they feel comfortable with that. Because Al and I were in business early days and we understood there's a process to everything, like we talked about getting to your goals, um, it sort of amazed me that people invested in property that had no process to pick the best investment every time. So we were lucky when we started out, we had Al's old man who was a successful investor, taught us what to do, the basics. But then I started talking to lots of other investors and analyzing what they all did and what I found was being in business myself, I know that if I set process in place that gives me a measured outcome, I have a successful business. Mm. Property investing is exactly the same. There's a set yeah. process in place. So I wanted a way to, to pick through the 10.4 million properties in Australia and pick the best property out of every one of those every single time. So we've got a team of data scientists and analysts that do this for us now regularly and for our clients, but you can't get property A and match it with property B and then the winner out of that match it with property C and do that 10.4 million times. Yeah. So the, the process we developed is called MAP, which is market area property. So it's a, it's a process of elimination. So we look at 
capital cities that are not good for investment at that point in time. So we knock out large portions of the options. Yep. Then we look at the capital cities that are good for investment and work out the growth corridors within those cities that are not good for investment, which leaves us good areas or suburbs. And then we find the optimum size and quality property specific to that area based on what we need or what our clients need at that point in time. So there's a process involved in getting it right. So for someone, going back to your question, what should people do? That's why I'm saying to them, I'm happy to offer them the book free of no charge so they can at least educate themselves on the risks involved in investing, which will give them an idea of what they shouldn't do. So investing is about not picking a loser, mate. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, nice. And, and I used to say to people who ask that question you've asked, how do you start? I used to say, beg, borrow, steal, do whatever you need to do to get a deposit. But the step before that is, as Cam said, it's a pretty costly mistake if you fuck it up. So yeah. you've just got to get yourself educated and not make a costly mistake. So know what you're doing, get your deposit and get in the market as soon as you can. Yeah, just you kind of touched on what I wanted to ask next. Is it a matter of trying to get in as soon as you can? Yes. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and that is, there's two reasons for that. One, the market's always going upwards. So if you sit out an extra year and the prices go up 50 grand, we just got to save extra deposit. Yep. But the other part is lazy money sitting around has a tendency to vanish out of your pockets. <laughs> so if you're sitting on you know, a big lump of cash, pretty easy to decide to go on a holiday or buy a new car or yeah. upgrade your house or mm. whatever you want to do with it. So it's fighting against you on two fronts. Prices are going up, your savings going down. So the sooner you can get in the market, mm. it's out of your hands and you're, you're taking advantage of the growth that's happening. Saying that, there's, um, and Al's 100% right, but saying that there's been times in our business over the last 20 years when we've been advising clients to purchase, you know, 2010 clients wanted to purchase in Melbourne. We said, either purchase in another capital city that we recommend or keep your money in your pocket. Okay. So there's times when you shouldn't invest in property. I think that's what a lot of people don't recognise is there's risk at specific points in time. But every year and for the last nearly 25 years, I've purchased property. It's just I reduce risk by picking the right area and the right type of property. Yeah. What, a question that, I, um, that just popped up just then is a few different um, you know, identities that I kind of uh, follow along with their content through social media, not so much for the property side of things, more so just in business. But yep. a few of them have met, I've heard it mentioned a few times um, and I could be completely wrong, but what's your opinion on do you, do you guys both own where you live? Or do you rent where you live and, and, and own property that you rent out? Yeah. So you're talking about rent vesting, I think is the, the term you're looking for. So yes, uh, we, we own our own properties where we live. Um, saying that um, financially, you're much better to, while you're building a portfolio property, I, we both had um, you know, well more than a dozen properties individually or with our now wives, but yep. uh, we held large portfolios ourselves before we bought our first primary place of residence. Okay. So, um, now that enabled us to go and buy our what was back then. I've I've had two dream homes in the time that I've owned my own property. Do you know what I mean? But it usually comes along. Flusty, Flusty and I were pretty savvy when we were trying to build our first portfolio. We had you know double digit portfolio. When she fell pregnant with Hannah, who's now fourteen, um, she said, oh, "I want our own place." Yep. I held off probably for another two years before we bought that because I wanted to just chip the property portfolio up a little bit more. But now it's enabled us to live in a you know acre property in middle ring suburbs of Melbourne, um, which there's no chance we could have done that if we bought our primary place of residence first and then tried to build the portfolio. Okay. So, and it, it comes down to taking advantage of um, 
some taxation benefits, um, allowing your property portfolio to grow in value. And you can then release that equity to buy the property that you actually want to live in, as opposed to using earned income or yep. time exchange for money through a job. Yeah, and, and as Kevin talked about before, one of the sacrifices we both made was moving out to the outer suburbs to buy a property that we could afford to, to own, to grow that you know, equity base for ourselves. We probably hadn't stumbled across the concept of rent nesting then, and no. it makes perfect sense. So I would have much rather live, I'm in Melbourne, obviously, so I would have much rather live in South Yarra, rent an apartment, you know, all the bars and restaurants all around me, and own property out where it made sense to own property. So that really is the, the overall concept of rent investing. Live where it makes sense and you want to live and invest where it makes sense. And those two aren't necessarily the same thing. So yeah. it gives you the best of both worlds. Yeah, what our investment consultants do for clients is outline exactly dollar for dollar based on their income and what they've got available. Outline, all right, so you've got the option to buy your own home. What would the dollar amount be? That's the time frame to pay it off with your income versus if you were to use that money, rent a ridiculous pad, as Al said, you know, for the next five years while you build a portfolio, here's your outcome in 10 years. So there's the two comparisons. Then people can make their own mind up. Make their own mind up, yeah. Yeah. For someone that, did, uh, for someone that was listening to this at the moment, it has a chunk of cash there they want to invest and they're tossing up between investing in property or in stocks like shares and stuff. What, yeah. what the, what's your argument for um, property over, over the opposite? Yeah. Um, so to give you an understanding, so just so where I've got... Um, OpenCorp's got an Australian Financial Services Licence. Um, I can, to maintain the position of responsible manager for that licence, I need to maintain ongoing education. Part of some of the previous education I've done is diploma in share and investor trading. So in essence, could be a licensed stockbroker, for example. So I'm yep. not totally biased to one over the other. Yep. Um, and we don't recommend people just invest in one thing. Yep. Okay? So um, I wanna make that clear. I'll give you the reason that why, because I don't want to give specific or general advice to anyone out there or to you, but I'll tell you the reason why I chose property early days over shares. And let's, I'll give you an example. Let's say that um, shares beats property as an investment. Um, and I'll give shares a head start at 10% growth and property 8% growth. And we'll, we'll run this scenario over 20 years. Because the banks deem property. So the, the issue, the difference is, and why property will always beat shares as an investment vehicle is comes down to leverage, leveraging other people's money or getting money from the bank and borrowing because you don't invest dollar for dollar. Yeah. So example, if I've got 50 grand and I go to the bank and say, I want to invest in shares based on the bank's risk profile of shares, they'll um, give me about a 50% LVR or loan to value ratio on that. So I'll take 50 grand and I can put another 50 grand of their money into the market. So I'm investing hundred grand. Now I probably wouldn't leverage up any more on that based on the share market. When it does take a dive, it usually takes a dive a good 50%. GFC, you know, recently wasn't quite that much, but if you take a dive on shares more than you've got your loan-to-value ratio, you can get what's called a margin call. I won't get too technical on you, mate, but um, basically the bank comes knocking and says, I want my money back. Okay. So let, let's go hypothetical. So you've got 100 grand, you can invest in shares versus if I've got 50 grand, I'll go to the bank and I'll get a 90% loan-to-value ratio. I can invest 450 grand into the market. So mm -hmm. if I invest 450 grand into the market and hundred grand of shares, the shares over a 20 year period, cause I've done the calcs previously will come to compounding growth rate of 10% of about 610 grand. So not a bad investment. I'll put 50 grand in 20 years later, I've got 610 grand. 
if I put $450,000 into the marketing property uh, over the same period of time, it's worth about 2.1 million. Right. So at an 8% growth rate. Yep. So it's not a matter of which investment's better. It's a matter of how much leverage you can get and what's because the banks deem property half the risk of shares, property will always outperform the shares. So hopefully that gives you a snapshot and hopefully my premise of that means that I'm not biased on one over the other. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, 100%. Would you, uh, I want to kind of just move a little bit away um, from the specifics of, of the, the property side of things. And as well, guys, for everyone that's tuned in, I'll have the links to, to OpenCorp's um, website and socials and all that type of stuff in the, the show notes. So you can go and grab the book and check out all the services and everything um, at any stage. For both of you, um, so I've heard anyway, you both... Uh, weapons yourselves in terms of physical fitness how how long have you both been uh into the physical side of things in terms of training and taking care of your body which then i think um is pretty self-explanatory carries over to most most other aspects of your life as well whether it be productivity at work um yeah, and, I, I can tell you that, that uh, as i said earlier when i was a young young fella i was very much into sport and i probably had the injury i have injury when i was 18 and probably went away from the fitness stuff for a little while but I can tell you the exact day that I got back into fitness. Um, Cam and I had been on a, uh, a conference in China with LG um, and we're on the way back and we stopped through Macau and I just felt so bloated and disgusting. And I saw a photo of myself and I was like, that, that is just absolutely horrible. 10 days on the booze will do that. I remember a discussion. What's that, mate? <laughs> 10 days on the booze will do that. Yeah, it just was coming out of every pore. <laughs> and I'm not saying that I look like him, but I said to Cam, Brad Pitt's not fit because he wants to be. He's fit because he pays a trainer. Yeah. And we had a business at that point that was doing reasonably well for ourselves. And I said, that's it. I'm getting myself a trainer. And I came back, went into personal training five days a week, did that for a couple of years, then moved on to group fitness through CrossFit and then back to personal training. So ever since literally that day, I've had a personal trainer that I've done minimally three sessions a week, but you know, sort of up to four and five a week that I punch out to make sure that, you know, I'm getting pushed along. Yeah. And I, when it's at its best, and you, you touched on it earlier, if I've got goals, like I say, right, I'm going to increase my bench by this much, or I'm going to lose this much body fat, or I'm going to do that, Hmm. that's when the training's the best because of extra motivation that gets me out of bed every day to go and do it. Yeah. I think, um, just before you answer there, Cam, um, I mean, it, it, what's your experience in terms of it carrying over to productivity with work and, and all other areas of your life as well? Cause I think that's such a, an important thing. And, um, <clears throat> fortunate enough to work with some pretty um you know interesting clients myself and a lot of them are in in the corporate world and and the yeah. feedback i get over and over again particularly from those that haven't trained flat out previously is just that is cannot believe how much more energy they have throughout the day how much better they sleep at night their mental clarity throughout the day just improves um what's what's your experience being with that side of things yeah, yeah. Okay. okay sorry Kim. Yeah. Uh, all, all i would add to that is that it's also an amazing stress reliever. I can walk into the gym with a thousand thoughts going through my mind and just get slammed for an hour and walk out relaxed because you've just, mm. you haven't had time to think about it and it just clears your mind and gets you grounded. And having the routine of the training in place as well helps with the rest of my routine. It just keeps me grounded, as I said, and going through the motions rather than just things being ad hoc and random. It's, yeah. it's a big difference. Yeah, I think planning, you're planning your training out is a big thing. So I, I plan my week out, literally my diary is blocked out. I've got time in there for study. I've got blocked out before and after school. I coach um, a bucket load of kids sports. So four different basketball teams and help out the footy and that sort of thing. So I block out those times 
I also block out times when I train. So minimally two hours a day and get out. Some of that time might be spent, go for an hour walk with the wife, for example, or the dog. Um, but I make sure that I block out. Um, I think the key though is, is Al said, is making sure that you actually structure your training. So, and as you'd know, if you just roll up to the gym, you end up doing the same old, same old. So mm -hmm. I literally go, I need to shock my body and continually push my body to do something new or change it up because otherwise you get used to it. And because I'm planning it out, you're right, you feel bucket loads better, you sleep well, it's slotted into the day. I know when that gets done and then I, my rest of the week just flows around it, but that's a priority. 100%. Yesterday I did a... Sorry, you go, okay. you go. Well. Sorry, right. I was going to say, yesterday I did a, a 10 minute hit workout. It was six cal assault bike and six box jump overs. Yeah. 10 minutes. And when I'm laying on the floor, nearly dead at the end, <laughs> the furthest thing from your mind is work. I can literally just, and I keep breathing. Yeah. Um, it is just amazing. It's different to like. I just find a carryover is big as well. Like I obviously my actual work is the whole health and fitness side of things, but yep. you know, we'll touch on it soon in terms of maybe some morning routines and things that you guys like to follow. But I know that, you know, example I use is the cold shower. Like I do, I do a cold shower every morning as soon as I jump out of bed. And it's just like that, that moment of feeling completely present. Um, the moment of un like feeling super uncomfortable, not wanting to do it, but then, building the momentum on the discipline side of things of knowing that every single day I've done it, I'm going to do it again the next day. And then all of a sudden yeah. the rest of the day, all the little things you can't be fucked doing yeah. become easy because you've already done the hardest thing you're going to do for the day. First thing, it sets the tone for everything else. Yeah. Um, which I how, how long have you been doing that? I've been doing that now since about the start of 2019. Wow. I got into, yeah. uh, I listened to a, I, I first started after listening to a, um, Hoff. I think it might have been Rogan's podcast with with uh, with Wim Hof, yeah. And then I Wim went Hoff, to one yeah. of his, um, his workshops here in Melbourne, and then um, and yeah, I, I fucking love it now. And I, I mean, obviously, I don't push it on my clients, but I try and uh, encourage most of them to give it a go. And again, similar to the training benefits, like oh, I was training a guy this morning who, when I first told him, he just looked at me like I had two heads. He's like, "Fuck, there's no <laughs> chance I'm doing that." And now, yeah. now he can't go a day without it. He loves it. Yeah, it's awesome. The um. I I, I might, so my routine is get up and put my gear on in the morning, but one of my, uh, or actually our, one of our wife's cousins, Johnny, he, uh, he, he swears by the cold showers and baths and he talked me into having it. And I, I do, I'll have a hot bath after exercise and then I'll jump straight into the cold shower straight after it. So that's oh, sort yeah. of how, how I hit it. And it is, it does, it shocks you into gear for the rest of the day. But uh, I remember having the first uh, ice bath and I've jumped in there and I actually called Johnny. I go, what the fuck have you done to me? My balls are burning. He goes, you've got to leave your jocks on, mate. <laughs> Mate, it's a super uncomfortable feeling, but again, it's just kind yeah. of, um, it, it sets the tone for everything else and the discipline side of things for me is the best thing. Cause I mean, I love the feeling afterwards. I love the feeling that you get mentally and physically, but let's be honest, it fucking sucks, especially for 4.30 in the morning, you get up and jump straight into a freezing shower in a Melbourne winter. It's not exactly ideal. Um, but the momentum that it starts to build, that, you know, start to stack those habits day in, day out. And as you touched on uh, earlier, Cam, it's about, it's about the small things done exceptionally well. Yeah. That, do, that give you those big results yeah you're a better man than me because i was doing that about two years ago i think i got to four months or thereabouts and my one mistake was i had a hot shower and i thought fuck oh, this what am i having cold showers for <laughs> I, was, I was done that was it one, one warm shower and i was finished uh, on the uh we just touched on physical health what about on the mental side of things have, have you guys um you know have you dived into to much of that? Like whether it be meditation, whether it be journaling, I'm, I'm not sure if that's something that, that you guys um, both do. And, and if you do, 
was there a moment that um or, or a certain event that kind of led you down the path of actually giving it a go i mean now these days um thankfully it's becoming a little bit more mainstream and people are a bit more open to it now um particularly in in work environments i think it's uh becoming a lot more popular and, and people are putting a lot more attention towards the mental side of things but for both of you is it something that you you do on a daily basis uh Definitely uh, meditation is something I'll do and I'll do um, at least, you know, maybe half an hour to an hour of yoga a day on top of my exercise, but that's usually a block out period where, and I did martial arts for nearly 20 years when I 15 years when I was a a kid, you know, man, up until early twenties. So meditation was a large part of, um, was of that teaching that I went through. So I've carried that on. I think it gives me a bit of balance nowadays in, in business life. We can sort of calm yourself out when there's any stress we do a lot of um, talks for professional athletes, you know, all of the NBL team, A-League soccer team. We were in at Collingwood um, the other week um, doing basically education for, you know, the players um, and a lot of the sporting enhancement, what is required for them as well as our clients is once you've got clarity over your finances, one of the biggest stresses for people is, is their finance. So once they've got their financial aspect taken away, then it comes down to just enjoying life. But if you're clouded with financial stress, that's one of the biggest factors for men and women of why they they can't focus on the rest of their life. So getting your financial aspect set is right. And then you can start breaking down different components of your life. So I haven't uh, tried journaling. My wife does. Um, what's I can't, forgot the guy. She's, uh, it's pretty, is it the Resilience Project? Um, yeah, Hugh, we've had him on. Hugh, yeah. Before. yeah. You'll have to suss out his episode. Yeah, so my wife's um, right into that at the moment. She's um, singing praises. But um, I think um, because I've spent so much time in the business world and listening to different business motivators and um, coaches and guides, a lot of what he's teaching, I've, I've got my head around. Do you know what I mean? But it really helps people if they're just coming off a raw bat. I think it's a really good platform for someone starting out, trying to get some structure to their life for sure. Mm, definitely. How about you, Al? Yeah, I think Kim and I have both been fortunate. This probably spans back to when we started our investing journey and through the business years, which, you know, there's different times. It's very stressful and times where things are great. But what we've probably been fortunate is we've been leverage, able to leverage each other. Um, you're not internalising things yourself too much. Um, and we, we've coined this term, and it's probably a bit derogatory, but we call it single employee syndrome, which, you know, those guys who work alone and they've just got their own thoughts themselves all day, every day that, sort of steamroll out of control at times, whereas we're lucky you can just bounce it off the other person because they know exactly where you're sitting, where you're at, what your journey's been, and you can just get that sense of reason or just advice or you know, just to get it off your chest to have a sounding board. So we call it talking off the ledge. Pretty useful tool. We, we talk, talk each other off the ledge if ever we're stressed is the term we use. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, on the topic of the mental side of things, I would love to kind of understand both of your, uh, I guess, processes around... Uh, a failure or, or a mistake or, or a low point. So um, don't, I don't necessarily need to, to know what the actual low point was, but when you guys do have maybe a big loss or a deal that doesn't go as planned or whatever it may be, whether it be with work or outside of work, what's the process to, to keep yourself on track to make sure you get back on track as quickly as possible and not let that manifest into just a bunch of fuck ups and a, and a whole, whole bunch of negativity? Yeah, we've been unfortunate um, in our property investment journey that because we've put, we identify risk, we haven't made mistakes there. And even, even for our clients, um, none had to sell through the GFC or through the COVID period. So financially, we've been all right. I think uh, we started a, 
recruitment business back, I think six months before the GFC, which that business failed. Um, but I think having a soundboarding, just continually going back to going, what's important in life? I'm okay. My family's okay. My own home's protected. I've got a base level of investments which are protected. Yes, there's a screw up. How do, does that affect me overall? Can I get over it? How do I move forward? I think people who bet everything are probably ones that take big risks on things that can vanish. Um, it's probably stressful, but we probably haven't had to deal with um, the depth of failure because we've financially having a property portfolio gives you a really good foundation for your wealth. So that protects the family, um, which is probably saves us a lot of those really high level anxiety feelings that some people get. Yeah. I think personally it's when you don't know how deep the hole is um, and you sort of lose that element of control a little bit. Like you don't know exactly how bad things could be. Yeah. Um, But I've always found that once I've got a a grasp on exactly where things are sitting, uh, I can pretty logically, as Cam just talked about, put myself back in a headspace that can deal with it and get a plan to move forward and and step out of it. But it's just when you're you're sitting there, not sure how big a hole you're in or the uncertainty or the unknown of where things are going, maybe lost the control a little bit. Yeah. That's the stressful part. And once you've got that back in the driver's seat, I've always found that I can absolutely talk myself out of it and put a plan forward. Mm. and uh, and get moving ahead from there. I think we deal with it a fair bit with um, <clears throat> clients who contact us and you know, one, one that ring true um, is uh, you know, a couple lost everything in the GFC, contacted us in their 50s and went literally, remember Mark, his name is, he's quite vocal on our social media. He goes, came to OpenCorp and he goes, I was fucked. You know what I mean? So being able to work through other people's financial problems like that you're not just trying to work through their financial problems. You're trying to rebuild their you know, mental state at the same point in time. So I think we're used to doing that time and time again with clients that it's quite natural for us to sort of have that foundation. And just to clarify, can you say he's fucked before he got to us? And- fucked before he got to us. Yeah. He's now, he's, he's now got six yeah. properties. He, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're building their dream home in Bateman's Bay on the clifftop currently. But uh, yeah. So um, how, how about you, mate? How do you do it? I, I've actually found the process of of journaling, as I touched on before, super important. And I think the meditation side of things as well. I would probably, I used to be the type of person that would kind of let one kind of small thing manifest into the next and kind of let it consume me a bit. Um, but I've come over the years, you know, a bunch of different setbacks where not not so much with work, but more so physically, like a bunch of surgeries, uh, bas- like with basketball, even for as, in, as an example, like I moved here for that and then, that got completely finished from a, uh, an ankle Rico, like all these little setbacks have just kind of helped me over the years. And I think it's definitely because I've actually had to go through it, but now it's just my whole mindset now is just focusing on what I can control. So a good example would be last year during lockdown. It was like, I can't, I can't go to work or I can't train anyone in the gym or I can't even train them outside. Yes, it's fucked, but me sitting here whinging about it or talking to every person I see about it or posting on Instagram about it is not going to change it. So what, how can I adapt as quickly as possible to make sure that I can just make do with what I've got now. And, and that's all yeah. that's worth my time and energy. And I think for me, that's, that's been a game changer. It's just kept me, it's helped me be able to really just stay super positive. You know, like I had my last year, I had my shoulder Rico in Feb and just as I got back to training properly, I had to get my knee done. So it was yeah. like, fuck, I had every reason to just be miserable bastard and, and sit around and, and crack dummy. talk about it. Yeah. But it was just like, well, it is what it is. You know, um, focus on what you can control and that's it. 
Yeah. You know why that's so relevant at the moment? You have so many conversations with people who are just angry, pissed off at the government because there's lockdowns, they're, you know, having Mm. temper tantrums all over the joint. And you just feel like I do anyway, saying, well, you can't control that. So there's no point letting it ruin your day. Yeah. No yeah. point sitting there angry and stewing on the couch. You can't change what they're doing. Move, move on. Like it, it's a waste of your mental capacity even thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we always break down, I think, into four quadrants um, when we're trying to get people to reset their mindset. And if we, we break it down into um, family, health, lifestyle, and money is the fourth one. Yeah. So if you've, got, if you've got set goals or set outcomes you want to achieve or comfort levels in when you're, you know, what's your family life like? What's your lifestyle like? Which the two are very different. You know, what my lifestyle is, like Al said, we want to take four months a year holiday, but we want to spend that with our family. Yeah. Um, having a health goals in place enables you to continue to do that and feel good about yourself. But the money quadrant is really the dollar amount because a lot of people go, how much money do you want? That's their goal. Your goal is what sort of family environment do you want? What lifestyle do you want? What's your health like? Money's the reason, is the uh, fulfiller that enables you to do all those things. Yeah. So once yeah. you break those down, if you do have a screw up in one of them, go back to your quadrants. What am I trying to achieve? What's my baseline of happiness? Yeah. Um, so we talk to clients a lot about that. But I think you're right. If, if journaling is working for, for some people, if meditation's working, knowing what's going to reset you and get you back on the right track, having a fallback rather than a pitfall is probably a good thing. I think uh, having... This is just slightly off topic with that, but having like an open or a growth mindset is super important in anything that you do. Yeah. How do you guys, and by the sounds of it, you both got it pretty well figured out, but how do you guys continue to upskill and continue to, to have the open and growth mindset to, to continually learning and growing um, as you move forward, even though you've been in the industry for so long? Like what's the, the process? Do you have mentors that you like to work with? Is it, um, you know, what, what's that look like for you guys? You want me to go, Ken? You go? Yeah, you go, mate. You go. Um, to me, it's, and we said it very early in this discussion, it's goals is the key one, and they're always changing and adapting. And I think the day that I was working my vampire shift at Safeway and had this light bulb moment that life was shit and I needed to fix it, the goals what they aren't what they are now, but mm. certainly things that I sit there now and go, I'm, I'm about to turn 44, by 50, I want to have this. By 60, I'm going to need to get my ass and you to get to that. Um, yeah. So just by constantly driving myself to be doing more and doing better, um, that that helps my mind be active firstly because once you sort of start thinking like that, you start thinking, how do I do it? What do I need to do next to achieve it? What do I need to learn to get there? Um, and their thoughts that drive me, and then everyone might be different, but I've always found that I'm absolutely goal-driven. If there's not one, then things don't feel right. So I'm constantly setting that benchmark higher and higher. And if I had looked at when I was 20, what I'd have by 40, I would have, would have absolutely been, well, shit, I didn't expect that. But mm. as I'm there, it's not enough and I need to do more. So yeah. that's yeah. what keeps me striving to have that growth mindset. Yeah, I think um, we break it down um, further with, with business. We reassess our business goals regularly and what we want to do there, what we want to achieve for our clients, achieve for the business and different divisions. Um, personally, we reassess our goals and discuss those between each other um, pretty regularly and what we want to achieve. My wife, Felicity, and I, we talk about what sort of you know, family environment we want, what holidays we want, you know, coming up, those sort of things. But I keep coming back to most people just think things happen. Mm. And I keep coming back to <laughs> there is only today. Nothing, people always try and put things off. So I'm going to eat better tomorrow. I'll exercise tomorrow. I'll worry about my finances tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. 
It's like yeah. the matrix. There is only literally right now, what you, what you shove in your mouth now, the run you go for now, the education, what go and buy the investment property now, go and work out what your borrowing capacity is. You can only do now. There's nothing else. Yeah. What's the saying that a goal, goal without a plan is just a dream. And yeah. that's, it holds true so often. It's, it's a topic I always talk about pretty much fucking every end of yeah. every December, the start of every January when people are setting their, you know, news resolution goals is just, there is no reverse engineering. And again, coming back to, it's not, I'm promise I'm not trying to convert you both into start fucking journaling, but that's something that I find super helpful <laughs> is every, like. every fucking morning. It's like, it's writing down. It's like, you know, revisiting what the big goals are, writing down the small tasks that need to be done today to make sure that those big goals happen. It's just continually reverse engineering exactly what needs to happen to make, to make them yep. work. Cause it's, if you don't revisit it, then, then you really are, you get six months down the track and you, you haven't even started. Yeah, I think um, I might use a bit uh, a different realm of journaling, mate. It's probably the same thing, but I've got a, a must-do list and I've got a, you know, would like to do list and a lot of that shit gets confused. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The must-do, the big ticket items that have to happen today have to happen. And then I've got a list of the things that usually distract you, but I'd like to do. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's, uh, maybe that's the same uh, a mini version of journaling, but I know what my wife's going through at the moment. She gets the shits when I read her journal, but that's all right. <laughs> Fellas, um, that that pretty much wraps us up. Look, I've 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 taken a heap away from from the chat. I've thoroughly enjoyed having you both on. So um, much appreciated, guys. And like I said, I'll have all the links to to everything in the show notes below. Um, if there's anything else you'd like to add, feel free. But for everyone who's tuned in, if you've enjoyed the episode and and taken some value away, we'd love for you to take a screenshot and post on your Instagram story for us um, straight away. Tag us tag us in your stories. We'd love to to get your feedback. But thanks thanks for joining me, Cam and Al. Thanks, I understand. Champion. Thanks, bud. Good to be here. Thanks, Talk soon.